Good morning again. If you have a Bible, please turn to Joshua chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a Bible right in front of you and turn to page 117. That should get you to Joshua 2. Joshua chapter 2. Before we begin the reading from Joshua 2, I I would be remiss not to make mention of some very uh, special people that are here today, and that is our veterans. Uh, This weekend we celebrate Veterans Day. If you are a veteran in any branch of the armed forces, would you please at this time rise and be recognized? Veterans, please stand. Thank you. Thank you very much for your service. We know that uh, freedom is not free. It comes with a great cost. And so we thank you for all that you've done for this nation and for many other nations. You're getting a a little note sheet that's pretty much blank. Uh, It's because I've been uh, away from my uh, desktop computer now for about uh, four days or so. We're, We're living in a hotel right now. We're, uh, we're out of the house. Uh, many of you knew we had uh, pinhole water leaks uh, in multiple places throughout our house. Bad copper or bad water, nobody knows. But uh, for whatever reason, there was lots of water on the floor. And, uh, and now we're out of the house actually for the next three weeks while our house gets repaired. So computer access is a little uh, sketchy for me right now, a little limited. I like my desktop. I, I don't like laptops anymore. And so I'm about to set up my desktop at the hotel, but I've yet to do it. So the note sheet is a little bare today. And, uh, and the sermon was done on uh, regular paper, handwritten, as a matter of fact. So that's, I know we're going old school today, folks. It's old school. I mean, whoever thought of writing a sermon down with your hand? It's just crazy talk. Joshua chapter 2. Would you please stand with me as we read from this incredible story? We're going to read verses 1 to 15 today, as a matter of fact. Joshua 2, verses 1 to 15. This is going to be part one of just a brief two-part series entitled, Rahab, God Delights in Using the Unlikely. Rahab, we're going to learn about her. And the subtitle there, God Delights in Using the Unlikely. Take a look at chapter 2 of Joshua, verses 1 to 15. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And so off they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Verse four, then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said to the king, oh yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut while it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. 
Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. And then a little parenthesis here in the story, verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them within the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Verse 7. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they laid down, that is the spies who were on the roof, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that is the land of Jericho, that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did, we heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Verse 12. Now therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I've shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the man answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then Rahab let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. You may be seated. Familiar story for probably many of you. Um, it's actually, ironically, my, my son's favorite Bible story. I don't know why. He, he loves Rahab and the spies. Must be the espionage. Spies, right? Spies. We don't know anything about spying in this nation. It's just kind of a foreign thing to us. It's, you know, it's just kind of, maybe it happens. Who knows, right? But Joshua, he, he's the leader of Israel at the time, and they're, they're, just, they're, what, they're just, just across the Jordan. They're about to enter the promised land for the first time. Moses and the first generation did not enter because of rebellion. But now Joshua leading the Jews, looking across the Jordan River to the east, on the eastern border of the promised land. And he looks across the Jordan and he sees that fortified city of Jericho. And he says to himself, well, if we're going to enter this promised land, if we're going to go and we're going to do what God has called us to do, to, to go and to, to assemble in that land, to take over that land as our own, then we need to defeat this first people group before us, and that is the people of Jericho. And so what does anyone do who is a good leader and commander of uh, his people? He sends out scouts, spies, to go forward and to determine what it will take to bring Jericho down. And so Joshua commissions two men, and off they go. They make their way across the Jordan into the fortified city of Jericho. They're spies. And as spies, they go in covertly. They go in perhaps knowing that, uh, that they look a little differently than the men in that land. 
Uh, they probably talk a little differently than them. They, their accents would be noticeable. Uh, their appearance would be noticeable. And so they go in covertly. They go in under the radar and they try to find a way to gather information in secret. They begin to look for types of people that they believe they might be able to trust as they go into that city. Of course, they wouldn't dare go to the king himself. They wouldn't go declare their intention to him. They wouldn't go to high governing officials or to well-established businessmen uh, in the city who have their livelihood and their stake all uh, built up in that city of Jericho. Instead, they go on the periphery of the city. They go to those who you would not normally go to. They go to a prostitute, to a harlot. Read verse 1 again, chapter 2. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. Why Rahab? Why did they pick her? How did they pick her? You know, there's only speculation here. There's no right answer because the scriptures are actually quite silent on why she was selected or perhaps why she selected them in some way, shape, or form. Maybe they were pretending uh, that they desired her services. She was the town's harlot. And these two men walked up to her and knew that they could gather information by pretending that they were interested in what she had to offer. And so she took them further into the city, into a private residence. And maybe that was their angle to gather information. Maybe they randomly selected her for uh, where she was located in the city. It says that her house was on the wall. It was up high. It had a unique and strategic position where the rooftop uh, uh, was at, at a very high vantage point within the city. And there could be uh, uh, wonderful angles being taken from around the city of what the the, the spies could uh, decipher, where the weak points of the city could be. Maybe she approached them. We do not know. We do not know how uh, it came about that Rahab and these two men uh, came together. But as it turns out, there was divine providence behind this meeting. The men, of course, would find out, however, that uh, on some level, choosing Rahab or, or being chosen by Rahab and to go into her residence was not exactly the wisest of decisions because what happens in Rahab's house does not stay in Rahab's house, yes, in, in contrast to some other places. What happens in Rahab's house gets broadcast to all and sundry because in the very next verses, we read that the men had been found out. Take a look at verse 2. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. Wow. Thanks, Rahab. You know, they, they, they go to her. Maybe she approaches them and they go up to this uh, residence up high near the wall. And all of a sudden, boom, everyone knows about it. It could be that... Uh, that there were a great many people uh, taking interest in who was going in and out of those doors. Um, there, were always, uh, uh, there were always uh, foreigners coming into the city and uh, often uh, soliciting the services of people like Rahab. And so there was always a close eye being kept 
uh, watched over on her residence and the residences of those like her. In any event, whether someone saw them go in or saw them come out, news came to the king's ear that Jewish spies had entered the city and had not only entered the city, but that were residing, were lodging, literally the term there is lying, sleeping there at the home of Rahab the harlot. The king of Jericho was quite worried about Israel. He knew of their victories east of the Jordan River. He knew what people group were sending spies his way. And so, of course, he has a great interest in figuring out what they're up to and in apprehending these men. And that's exactly what he tries to do. Look at verse 3. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who've come to you, who have entered your house. For they've come to search out all the country. They've come to spy on us. They've come to scout us out. They've come to figure out what our weak spot is. Rahab had the king, probably the king's messenger, knocking at her door. On behalf of the king, open up. Rahab knew immediately what that knock meant. And she turned to the men inside of her home, the two spies, and she had a choice to make. Right then and there, a huge, huge choice to make. There were really only two options. One, she could give them up. She didn't have much to lose. She could open the door and say, yep, there they are. There are the spies. And she could give them up. What would she have gotten for that choice? Well, had she chosen to give them up, she might have received a small reward from the king's messenger. But alas, she also would have just then returned to her everyday life. Her everyday life of prostituting herself in the town square. And I think that Rahab was growing tired of her life. See, prostitutes in uh, the first century, uh, excuse me, prostitutes at this time in biblical times, and in the first century for that matter, uh, were, there were two kinds of prostitutes. There were some that were cultic prostitutes, some that would participate in like pagan and cultic practices. They were often even priestesses in their culture. They were revered at times in their culture. Um, and they were honored or used in uh, obviously grotesque and unspeakable ways in pagan ritualistic ceremony. And there were other prostitutes that were prostitutes um, out of compulsion. Um, maybe their husband had died, their family had uh, died off or forsaken them, and that they had no more means to make a livelihood. And so they went into pr- uh, prostitution just to make ends meet. It would appear, based on uh, the decision that Rahab made, that she was of, of this kind, of this latter kind, having been forced into a life of prostitution and regretting it all the way through. Because Rahab, you see, did not give them up. She chose a second option. And that option was to hide them. Hide them. Hiding them, hiding the spies meant trusting in the stories that she was hearing east of the Jordan. Hiding them meant believing 
the marvelous victories of Israel who were encamped a few short miles away. Hiding these spies meant that Rahab was putting her entire life, staking all of her being on a people group that were outside of her walls, outside of her city, looking in. Hiding them meant that Rahab was hoping to start over, hoping to leave a life of prostitution. And Rahab chose to hide them. She chose a new life. Take a look at verse 4, 4 through 7. Then the woman took the men and hid them. And so she said to the king's messenger who came through the door, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was, the city gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. But pursue them quickly. You, you might overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them within, uh, with the stalks of flax, flax when she was lay, which she laid in order on the roof. Verse 7, Then the men pursued them, the king's men did. They pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate behind them. Many commentators point to this pivotal moment in Rahab's life as the time in which she converted and trusted in the Lord God. You can see also in verse 9, she mentions that the Lord has given you this land. And in verse 10, she mentions, um, excuse me, verse 11, that the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So we see here, as Rahab makes that choice, whether to give them up or to hide them, when she chose to hide them, many commentators point to that moment as the moment in which Rahab perhaps became a believer in the Lord God, a follower of Him. I agree uh, with that assessment. I think that that's a, a pretty good indicator in the text there, though we can't be Sure, 100%. That's a pretty good indicator in the text that she had made her decision. Therefore, she had looked up and said, I'm going to trust you, God, and not the, the way that this city has taken me. I think that Rahab was converted at a time such as this. But what is most fascinating, really, regardless of the fact of whether that was the moment of conversion or not, what is most fascinating in this account of the story is that Rahab's first act, her first action, after having made her choice to side with Israel, to side with the people who were across the river, to put all of her livelihood in the hands of those who were outside the walls, and to invest herself into protecting these spies, the first action that Rahab took after having made that choice was to lie. And if this was her moment of conversion, then we can say the first thing Rahab did after having coming to faith in the Lord God was that she lied. She lied. Is it okay to lie? No, it's not okay to lie. I could show you a great many verses where that's the case. It's not okay to lie. Is it a sin to lie? Yes. Yes. 
The Bible says that lying is a sin. Was Rahab's lie a sin? Yes, no. Was Rahab's lie a sin? That's what I heard. Well, we have a couple options here, according to the crowd. We have a couple options. We have the first option is that, uh, was to the question, was Rahab's lie a sin? We have the first answer would be, yes, it was a sin. But then, to those who say yes, we might ask the question, as we continue to read this story, which we will get to in part today and in part next week, you'll be faced with the question to those who say, yes, it was a sin for her to lie. You will have to answer, how then do you account for the obvious and immediate blessings of God that Rahab received as a result of her lie? How do you account for the incredible and immediate blessings that came quickly to Rahab as a result of sin. And so maybe you might be, those of you saying yes, you might be thinking, okay, maybe I could account for that in a few different ways, but maybe, maybe I'm going to switch over to no. Maybe the answer is no. Was Rahab's lie a sin? No, it was not. Ah, but for those of you that say no, you are likely saying no because you'll respond and say, well, Neil, you see Rahab, yes, she lied, but she lied for the greater good. And therefore, some lies are okay and not sin. Some lies are okay. No, it wasn't a sin. Uh, Some lies are okay as long as there's a greater good in mind. Some of you might be saying yes, some of you might be saying no. To those who say no, I might also challenge you. You see, because that line of reasoning, the idea that, well, yeah, it was a lie, but, it, but it's not a sin because it was for the greater good, okay? That line of reasoning can easily and quickly become abused. I heard it said recently to the people of this nation that no one, by multiple representatives I might add, no one, no one is listening to your phone calls. I heard many government officials say that to me. I heard my president say that to me. I heard senators say that to me. I heard representatives say that to me. And the list goes on and on and on. No one is listening to your phone calls, Americans. Alas, come to find out, every single one of our phone calls are being noted, recorded, and stored. What? We rise up in great fury and wonder, you lied to us, you lied to us. And what has been the response of our governing officials to the charge of lying? Ah, yes. Well, yes, we, we kind of lied, but it was for the greater good. It's for the greater good. We need all those phone calls. We need all those logs and records. We need to keep track of every word that comes out of your mouth, of every stroke of the keyboard. I'm entertaining an individual over there. (laughs) 
Make what you will. Make what you will. I'm not, and by the way, I, I, let me be very clear. I'm actually not making a judgment on that. This is what I'm saying. You think I am, but I'm not. I actually am quite conflicted about that policy. Make what you will about the present policy of the national, of the NSA in this nation, whether their actions are justified or not. But the point is this, the argument that it is okay to lie for the greater good is a line of reasoning that I think we all will all admit is easily abused. So which is it, Neil? Was Rahab's lie a sin? Was it a sin for Rahab to receive those governing officials, walk through her door and say, I don't know where they are. I don't know where they went. Was it a sin? Well, let me give you the answer. Ready for it? I have no idea. And anyone who says they know is probably lying to you. Because the Bible does not say. The Bible does not say. It's, uh, it's, it's a complicated matter here. On the one hand, Rahab, you're going to see Rahab getting incredible blessings right after the lie. And the idea in Galatians that we'll reap what we sow. Well, Rahab reaped wonderful things from God through the people of Israel immediately after her lie. She was, she was, being, she was going to be protected and preserved, and we'll, we'll read about it. Boy, she, if she was reaping what she sowed and she lied and yet she was blessed... Hmm. On the flip side, if we say, no, no way is that a sin, well, we have to account for so many of the passages of Scripture which speak against lying and that speak of it as sin. And so we are in a very difficult part of God's Word, a moral dilemma that I personally tread very lightly in. And I want you to as well. The Bible does not comment, let me be very clear, the Bible does not comment on the morality of Rahab's lie. Never once does it comment on the morality of the lie. It'll comment on the virtue of her hosting the men, but it will not comment on the morality of her lie. And while it is clearly the case that Rahab is blessed for her assistance to Israel, the book of Joshua is, his, is a historical book, which is different from direct law given to Moses or the letters with which Paul and Peter and John wrote. You see, the law that God spoke to Moses, the letters, the epistles, which God gave to Peter, Paul and John and the words of Jesus that were written down for us, those are words of prescription. Things what we should do. When God said to Moses, do this, write down do this and do not do this, we're to follow the prescription there. When God, through Christ, taught us to do certain things and avoid certain things, we're to follow the prescription there. The same with Paul and Peter and John. There's prescriptive writings in the scriptures. And then there is what's called descriptive, descriptive genres of scripture, of which Joshua is part and parcel. We don't prescribe everything out of the book of Joshua. It is a history of what happened. It is a description of what happened, not a prescription 
of how we are necessarily to live. So there's, uh, there's some ambiguity there. And I want to leave us with that ambiguity. It's okay to have some ambiguity. Of course, after this service, I, I know many of you are going to come up to me and say, well, let me actually tell you the answer, Neil. Um, but I would urge you to tread lightly where the scriptures tread lightly. Make up your own mind, that's fine. But avoid being dogmatic about your position. Where the Bible speaks, you speak. But where it does not speak, like in the case of the morality of Rahab's lie, then tread carefully. Enough of that rabbit trail. One thing we do know, Rahab's life changed. She had made a choice to hide the Jewish spies, to trust them, to trust a nation she did not know and a God whom she had not known before but was just now placing her faith in. And why did she do it? Verses 8 through 11 tell us why she made this choice. Verses 8 through 11. Now before they lay down, that is before they even fell asleep on the roof, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you, Israel. You, the Israelites. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts, they melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Before the men lay down to rest on the rooftop, she went up to them and said, I know, I know why you're here. I know what you're going to do. And I trust in your God. She says, word has spread about you. Word has spread about you. About Israel's exploits across the Jordan. About the Red Sea. We've heard about what happened years ago with Moses. We heard about what you did to King Sihon and Og. We heard what you did to vanquish over 60 cities east of the Jordan by biblical scholars count. 60 cities, 60 city-states that the Israelites upon their journey through the wilderness destroyed, brought to ruin because the Lord their God was with them. She says, word has spread about you and it's awesome. It's amazing. You know, I, I, uh, word has spread, right? Uh, advertising, really. There's been advertising going through this city about you. People are talking about you. I can't stand advertising. I, I, uh, and I f- always feel we're, we're really, we always need to improve as a church in how we advertise. We're bad at it, but, uh, but it always feels strange as a church to advertise. It feels so pretentious. It feels kind of awkward for a church to advertise. But hey, what if, what if the word would just spread as it did here? It's often said that the, the best advertising is word of mouth. Word of mouth. What if word would just spread about what was happening here? 
few weeks ago I mentioned, I told you the story of Bill, the homeless man that I interacted with a number of weeks ago in San Juan Capistrano. One of the questions that continues to haunt me, that Bill asked me, he said, um, he pointed, uh, he mentioned the church down the street, Mountain View, Mountain View Church, and he said, uh, he said, do you know, do you know if they, uh, if they give out gift, food gift cards? Do you know if that, that new church down there, they're not new, but they, they just moved in a, a year ago or so. Do you know if that church, do you know if they give food gift cards? And I said, you know, Bill, I don't know. I'm not sure. But really what was underlying his question was, do you know if that church helps people like me? Do you know if that church helps people like me? In Bill's case, hearing word of a church that helps people like him is a good thing. That kind of word of mouth advertising for Bill would be, would be music to his ears. Word would spread in his community. Others who are homeless and hurting. And, uh, and people would come and receive help. That's happened here at Coast as well. Uh, we've had times where people have walked through the door and said, uh, uh, we heard that you give assistance. And uh, I'm proud of that. I think you should be too. When you give to the Benevolent Fund, as we do every Lord's Supper Sunday, you know, sometimes it's a small token, a small gift card of food. But when word can spread that this church is helping, that this church is active and on the move and doing the things that Jesus would do, maybe that word of mouth advertising would be a really good thing. In Bill's case, hearing word of a church that helps people would be a great thing. For the people, though, in Jericho, hearing word that Israel had conquered over 60 cities east of the Jordan, that was a terrifying thing. Look at verse 11 again. As soon as they heard these things, their, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. We are terrified, Rahab said. We're terrified of your people. We're terrified of what they've done and of what they can do to us. You know, we think as Americans, we have great pride in our military. We think that the, the mere sight of our nation's military is a terrifying sight, and it is. I remember speaking to a Haitian once, and um, there were, we were, I was in Haiti, and there were UN peacekeepers, uh, large uh, guns and jeeps and lots of ammunition and, and battle gear, and they were, they were uni- United Nations. They had the blue helmets, and they were driving by, and I, I turned to the Haitian that I was with, and I said, do you... Are you afraid of them? Or are, you, are you fearful of them? He says, no. He says, we're only fearful of the United States Marine. Because in Haiti, they knew that the, that the ones to fear were the United States military. We think the mere sight of our military is a terrifying thing. And it is. How much more so? How much more so? The people of Jericho looking across the Jordan, seeing a nomadic people, a people with tents, vanquishing city-states 
by the dozens. How much more so in many years from now when the Lord Jesus himself comes to vanquish the armies of evil. That day is soon approaching. And so we need to find peace, friends, in the midst of the terror Rahab said, I I need to be safe. I need to be protected in this moment. I know that God's judgment is coming and I need to do whatever it takes to be safe. Verse 12, we close with verses 12 to 15. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I've shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token, that is a, a pledge, Give me a pledge and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And so the spies answered her, our lives for your lives. If none of you tell this business of ours and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. And then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall Save me, Rahab says. I see the judgment coming and I need protection. Would you save me? Save my family. And they say, deal. Just don't tell anyone. Because of your kindness, because of your generosity, we will make you that pledge. And they are let down the wall. We have to pause this story awkwardly today. There's much more to this story and I I can't wait for next week actually something that is actually quite significant that Rahab is going to have hanging in her window as the spies leave down the wall but for today for today before you read ahead for today in light of what Rahab did and as we prepare for the Lord's Supper we must ask ourselves how do I need to get right with the Lord? How do I need to get in step with Him? Because God's judgment, it comes in many different ways. To those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, our eternal destiny is secure in heaven. And yet still, God calls us to walk with Him, to live life in the Spirit, to not allow sin and and temptation to overtake us, but to walk humbly before Him, knowing full well that uh, that there's great judgment that's going to be coming upon this earth. And we are, uh, all around us, we see evidence of that. For today, we need to ask ourselves, how do I need to get right with God? You might think, well, I'm so far gone. I've, I've gone astray for so long. He can't redeem me. To that we say nonsense. Rahab, Rahab a prostitute, Rahab a woman who left, uh, who, who walked into a life of fornication and yet God used her, a harlot and a liar and God used her and is going to bless her as we shall see. She saw danger coming and she put all of her eggs in one basket and that is the one that the Lord God was carrying. And she said, will you protect me? 
Will you guide me? Will you watch over me? As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, we need to put all of ourselves before him, asking him to examine us and to find out how we can become more in line with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this story, Lord. We're not done with it yet, but we're looking forward to, uh, to its finish, to see what you do in this magnificent story of redemption, of protection. And God, we echo what Rahab's prayer was here. She was seeking protection and guidance for her future. And God, that is what we are asking for as a church. Would you protect us and shield us? Would you guide us into the future? Would you keep our eyes, Lord, lifted up, looking and seeing what you want us to do? As Rahab looked out and and lodged spies that were not like her, did not look like her, did not talk like her, but she befriended them, reached out to them, and God, you showed her great grace because of it. Help us now, God, to find ways in which you want to have us look up and see what you are doing. Help us to become a part of it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.